And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I'm your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. Hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode, which was our comic fill-in featuring Charlton's Gorgo, number 19, all the way back from 1964. More on Gorgo in a little bit. But today, we are jumping back over to the small screen, and we are covering the next two episodes of the original Ultraman series, episodes 34 and 35. But before we get to that, we have a lot of news to cover, so let's jump right into it. The film Godzilla Minus One has been officially announced. Toho's new live-action Godzilla film, which was rumored to be titled Godzilla Zero in the months of speculation leading up to this announcement, has been confirmed as being released on November 3rd in Japan and being followed with a U.S. release on December 1st. No word on whether this is a wide release or a limited engagement at this time. I'm sure we'll find out more as we go forward. The official description of the film goes like this. After the war, Japan's economic state has been reduced to zero. Godzilla appears and plunges the country into a negative state. Obviously, very exciting news, and I expect there will be lots and lots of news for this film as we march towards November, and we're already starting to see toys and other merchandise from the film popping up. So I expect that this will be a big deal, same as we saw for Shin Godzilla, which was incredibly, like, seven years ago. It's hard to think that that was that long, but uh, more on Godzilla Minus One, and I'm sure there will be more as it comes out. In comics news, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong has been officially announced by DC Comics. The miniseries is from writer Brian Bucciolato, who uh, best known probably for The Flash, artist Christian Duce, who did the Batman Fortnite Zero Point uh, uh, miniseries, and colorist Luis Guerrero, depicts the outcome when walls break down between one of the worlds of the DCU multiverse as uh, this story is evidently not set in whatever passes for DC continuity these days, and the realm of the MonsterVerse. We are promised not only lots of Justice Leaguers, but also other monsters in addition to our two title stars. Looks like a blast and lots of fun. Uh, Props to DC for getting me to buy some more of their comics, which they haven't been able to do very regularly uh, in a couple of years, so good on them. Uh, First issue is set to hit stands on October 17th, so keep your eyes out for that. In Blu-ray news, Vinegar Syndrome is releasing a new Blu-ray of Gorgo. See, I told you we would bring up Gorgo again. This is a 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray two-disc set loaded down with extras, as one would expect from Vinegar Syndrome. Very eager to see how this completely restored version of the classic looks, because uh, I'm very much used to the VHS that I had for many years, and I do have the DVD, but uh, just to see it completely restored should really be something. Set is available for pre-order on Amazon, has a street date of August 30th. In streaming news, the fifth 
of the five kaiju which will be battled by Gamera in the upcoming Gamera Rebirth series has been announced. So, if you had the devious Space Squid Virus on your scorecard, congratulations, because you are a winner. This brings the tally to a very Showa lineup of enemies. Gauss, Jiger, Guren, Zegra, and Virus. Now, in addition to this announcement, we've also got a new trailer for the series showing Gamera and all of his enemies in action, with a worldwide debut set for September 7th, 2023 on Netflix. The series looks very intriguing. Uh, I am a fan so far of the monster redesigns. Very excited to see these Showa enemies return and to discover just what, what sort of character... Gamera will demonstrate. You know, Gamera's had a few different uh, roles over the years, so more on this as it develops. And finally, in video game news, Skull Island Rise of Kong has been announced with a release trailer. The official description states, Take on an action-packed quest to avenge the death of Kong's parents at the hands of the ultimate alpha predator, the Saurian Terror Gaw. Traverse a mysterious island and uncover its secrets across a variety of treacherous environments, discovering the power coursing through its exotic flora and fauna. Conquer waves of primal beasts, defeat unique bosses, and rise above all who stand in Kong's way to become king. The game is an isometric action game. Chara makes it look like Kong will be doing quite a bit of fighting against the various creatures populating Skull Island. This game is part of Joe DeVito's Kong universe, so it should not be connected in any way to the MonsterVerse or any other modern versions of Kong. Looks like a fun smash-up. Now, the game will be coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and Xbox Series S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, which is how I'll probably be picking it up since that's the only one of these systems I have, and PC via Steam sometime this fall. All right, that's all the news I've got. If you have any news that you think is appropriate here on Earth Destruction Directive, why don't you go ahead and send it in, Directive at yahoo.com, and we will talk about it here on the show. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will get into not one, but two different episodes of Ultraman, right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. 
Ultraman episode 34, Present from the Sky, also translated as A Gift from the Sky, subtitled featuring Megaton Monster Skydon, originally aired on March 5th, 1967 on Tokyo Broadcast System. Our writer is Mamaru Sasuke. Who, uh, Sasuke was a scriptwriter for TBS radio comedy programs, but by 1961 he began scriptwriting for radio and TV dramas at TBS. Now, I'm going to talk also, before I get more into that, I'm going to also talk about our director, who is Akio Jisoji. Now, Jisoji had a long association with the Ultra series, directing episodes in several different shows over the span of several decades. Now, per Ultra Fandom, ultra.fandom.com, he first started with Subaraya because TBS was not sure what to do with him because his directorial style was so unusual. So they sent him over to Subaraya, and it's a good thing they did, as that is where Hei and Sasuke met, and the pair are responsible for several very well-regarded and memorable episodes of Ultraman, including, most notably, My Home is Earth, featuring Jamila, which is my favorite episode of the series, which we covered back on episode 82 of this podcast. They also collaborated on Overthrow the Surface with Telesodon, which can be heard in episode 76, and Terrible Cosmic Rays with the dream monster Gavadon, which can be heard back on episode 53. The two would go on to collaborate on episodes of Ultra 7 and Return of Ultraman, as well as the film Ultra Q, the movie Legend of the Stars. Now, individually, they would work on episodes of Ultraman Taro, and the Heisei era Ultraman Tiga, Ultraman Dinah, and Ultraman Max, plus episodes of Ultra Q Dark Fantasy. And Jisoji would also go on to direct the highly regarded science fiction film Tokyo, The Last Megapolis. Now, our synopsis of this episode is adapted from ultra.fandom.com and goes a little something like this. A meteor falls to Earth, landing near a construction site. The monster Skydon emerges from the meteor and destroys the site with flames. The science patrol scrambles to the site, but their weapons prove ineffective against the monster as his thick hide lets him simply shrug off the attacks. Skydon eventually simply falls asleep at the site, content with his actions. Unable to attack the monster, the science patrol devises another method to get rid of Skydon and end his threat. The first is Operation Wirelock, where the science patrol attaches a series of cables to Skydon and tethers him to the jet VTOLs. The operation begins perfectly, with the tethers being put into place and the monster secured. However, despite the thrust of the jet VTOLs, they are unable to get the heavyweight monster off the ground and are forced to abort the mission. Haida transforms the Ultraman to battle the irate Skydon, but even our hero is ineffective against a monster who proves too heavy even for Ultraman. Back to the drawing board, the Science Patrol begins Operation Autogyro, where a large remote-controlled gyroscope is attached to Skydon to fly him back to space. The Science Patrol is able to lift Skydon with the gyro and send him off into the sky. Back at HQ, the patrol celebration is cut short when the gyroscope fails, sending Skydon crashing back to Earth again. The next proposal is Operation Rocket, similar to what was used against a monster, Gamakujira. As Skydon rampages, a rocket is fired onto his back, which succeeds only in driving the monster to dash along directly towards the Science Patrol. Eventually, the rocket runs out of fuel, and it's back to square one once again. The next plan is Operation Monster Balloonization. Skydon is shot with a large needle valve attached to a tanker of hydrogen, and is blown up like a balloon, floating off into space. At least he is, until the JSDF Air Force spots him while maneuvers and shoots him, sending him back out of the sky. Hayata is forced to change to Ultraman once he finds his beta capsule, and uses the air body attack to detonate the gas-filled monster. 
The Science Patrol hopes that as spring blooms, only nice things will come from the sky. Right until Ide gets bird droppings on his head. Uh, this episode is one which I remembered well from my first watch through the series just for the slapstick premise and numerous comedic elements. It's always a tightrope with comedy, especially from another time and another culture. How does it hold up? Let's get into the notes. Now, the episode begins very strangely, with the narrator talking about various things falling from the sky. It starts out innocently enough with a snowstorm at Science Patrol HQ, with Fuji admiring the snow. Now, this transitions from snow to sleet to rain, as it does, and we see Captain Muramatsu stuck out without his umbrella. When he requests Hayata to bring him an umbrella, Hayata's solution is to drop it from a jet VTOL, which seems like... An incredible waste of resources, but eh, they're not my taxes, I guess. But things take an incredibly dark turn, as we now see a man on the ledge of a building being urged not to jump, but he does. Understanding that in a Japanese show, suicide may not be seen in the same light as to an American show, but good lord, that was jarring and bizarre. And ultimately, it doesn't mean anything, since, since the character is not named and has no role in the overall story. One gets the feeling that Sasuke and Jisoji put that in a story because they were amused by it, or to specifically have a tragic moment in their Daikaiju farce. The actual plot, involving Skydon being so heavy that it becomes more of a burden than a threat, is a great concept for a comedy episode. Long ago, I said to the annoyance of one of my listeners that monsters are as big as they need to be, and that while we often do get heights and weights for monsters, the information is usually only secondary to the story. Here, Skydon's incredible weight puts all the normal conventions on edge. When even Ultraman cannot lift the monster, how do you get rid of him? The comedy mostly hits the target. We see the science patrol in their pajamas while evidently sleeping at HQ, and when everyone is roused, the captain is already in uniform, albeit backwards. The first time Ultraman tries to throw Skydon, the music swells and he grabs a hold of his foe only to get stuck and eventually fall over, with the music slowing down comically and eventually stopping. When the Science Patrol runs away with from Skydon with the rocket pushing him along, the footage is slightly sped up, giving the shot a sort of Benny Hill Show energy, which is amazing since this predates the Benny Hill Show. The best gag of all comes near the end. The Science Patrol is busy celebrating the success of Project Monster Balloonization when word comes that Skydon is headed to Earth again. Hayata sprints out of the HQ and prepares to transform, but holds up a spoon instead of the beta capsule, a rare moment of silliness from the normally straight Hayata. Now, some of the comedy admittedly has not aged as well. Ide's mugging probably was delightful to Japanese kids some 55 years ago, but it is a bit broad. And the strangest bit of all comes during monster balloonization. Arashi is aiming the needle valve, and the captain advises him to, and I swear I'm not making this up, Aim for its butthole. I understand that something may be lost in translation, and I must admit I did the dry equivalent of a spit take at that line, but it was so silly and outlandish a line that I just shake my head and move on. Our monster Skydon is, appropriately enough, built from the Gamakujira suit. Similar to what we saw with Zumbular being an improvement over Gavadon Beta in Episode 32, The Endless Counterattack, which we covered on Episode 116 of this podcast, Skydon is a big improvement over the earlier monster. Gamakujira, being based partially off of a whale, looks bloated and bulbous, while Skydon looks fierce. He sports horns above his snout, 
spines and armor plates on his back, spikes on his flank, and a new tail ending in what can best be described as a mix of an Ankylosaurus's club and a Stegosaurus's thagomizer. Even though he is the star of a comedy episode, Skydon is a well-realized kaiju who unfortunately has not made many other appearances, being limited to an appearance in the Marvel Comics Rise of Ultraman miniseries, which we covered in episode 102, and the Kaiju Busters powered video game. For the non-monster effects, these tend to be a little sillier than we are used to seeing. The gyroscope, which is clamped on the Skydon's middle and flies him off like a monster helicopter, is delightfully fun. An image of Skydon blown up like a balloon is a real hoot. While Subaraya's crew has handled outlandish and potentially silly concepts for a while, here they succeed in actually making them look as goofy as they need to be for the story. Longtime listener and friend Professor Alan Middleton of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network was a fan of Ultraman during its dubbed run in the U.S. and normally provides us with some pre-feedback when we cover the series. Here are his thoughts on this episode. Luke, so glad you are getting back to the original Ultraman series, but also kind of bummed out that you are approaching the end of it, and I'm going to jump in. Yes, I agree, Professor. I say that having just slid in the last DVD of the season. Here are some thoughts on episodes 34 and 35. I thought that Present from the Sky might be a Christmas episode the way it starts, with the snow and some humor, but it turns dark pretty fast with the guy falling from the roof. And so, all the Science Patrol employees sleep at the HQ? I was not expecting that. And those were some interesting directing choices, especially the strange close-up on eyes and lips, and the weird mix of darkness and absurdity. In the end, I liked that it was a problem-solving episode. There was a problem, and the Science Patrol solved it. It was wild, and it was fun. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of those points. It is a problem-solving episode, and it's always nice to see the Science Patrol be the ones to figure things out, not just you know attack the monster for a while, and then have Ultraman go and, and fight it. Uh, and yeah, weird mix of darkness and absurdity, I think, kind of nails this episode in the head, right there. Uh, overall, Present from the Sky is a memorable, amusing later episode of Ultraman. We get a nice, uh, a nicely retread monster, and a wonderful premise, but the real treat here is that the comedy actually works. Episode has several legitimately funny moments, and the sending up of itself hits the mark as we're in the home stretch of the series. Skydom may not be an all-star ultra kaiju, but he looks great. And by leaning into the silliness, the episode is a success, even if a few gags miss the mark at this point. Now, if you would like to watch President from the Sky, you have a couple of options. You can pick up the original series on Blu-ray from Mill Creek, which I do believe still does include the movie spree digital copies, whatever those are worth at this point. In addition, the episode can be streamed for free with ads over on Shout Factory TV. And you can probably still find the old DVD sets. Those are going to, be, of course, be in the secondary market at this point. Uh, but they are out there if you would prefer to go that route instead of the Mill Creek DVDs. Uh, so what do, or Mill Creek Blu-rays, I should say, the Mill Creek DVD. Mill Creek put out that DVD set. So I now throw it to you, the listeners. What do you think? Do you like comedy episodes of Ultraman? Do you like uh, Skydon being so super heavy that Ultraman can't lift him? What did you think about this episode? Write in and let me know, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. We'll talk about it here in the show. And love to get people's thoughts and feedback on this episode. All right, we're going to take a quick little podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll get our next episode of Ultraman right after this. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast 
sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light blogspot.com for our more regular content or darkness to light.tumblr.com for our more irregular content memes and puns mostly my bad darkness to light often irreverent rarely sacrilegious All right, we are back. Ultraman episode 35, The Monster Graveyard, subtitled featuring ghost monster Seibatsu, originally aired on March 12, 1967, on TBS. Now, our writer and director are Mamoru Sasuke and Akio Jisoji. It's the same folks that did the previous episode. So if you want to find out about them, rewind your podcast about 10 minutes, and you'll get that information. So it's very odd. We have seen this a few times where we've had... Either a director do two episodes in a row or a writer do two episodes in a row. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I've not noticed a writer and director team doing two episodes in a row like this. So, very interesting stuff. Uh, Our synopsis, once again, is adapted from ultra.fandom.com and goes a little something like this. On a patrol of space, Arashi and Ide stumble onto the Ultra Zone, an area of outer space they liken to a monster graveyard. Upon their return, Captain Muramatsu reads a report, the contents of which break Fuji down in tears and motivate the captain to agree to memorial services for the destroyed monsters. Hayata leaves the Science Patrol control room in remorse. He laments all of the monsters he has been forced to kill as Ultraman. Science Patrol decides that the memorial services shall take the Buddhist form, and all the members of the patrol attend. In the course of the memorial service, the alarm sounds and the patrol springs into action. A skeletal monster called Seibatsu was inadvertently brought to Earth from the monster graveyard. As the Science Patrol is about to fire on the monster, they notice that the monster isn't intentionally attacking the city, nor trying to harm anyone. Instead, it climbs the tallest building in the city as if it were trying to get back into the sky. Failing and falling off the building, Seibatsu wanders off to an open plain pursued by the Science Patrol. Attacking the monster, it soon becomes clear to the Science Patrol that Seibatsu simply wants to go home to the monster graveyard where it could be in peace. The first attempt to send Seibatsu home was to tie his hands around a massive rocket that would be sent to the monster graveyard. However, the plan fails as Seibatsu's weight and clumsiness cause the rocket to crash and burn at the launch site. Ultraman shows up shortly afterwards and shockingly attacks the monster, but Ultraman's color timer was running out, and so he also had to abandon Seibatsu in mid-flight as he was trying to fly him back into space. Finally, a special rocket designed to resemble Ultraman is constructed. Ultraman met Seibatsu once again and ordered the monster to hold onto the rocket to take him home. 
but the monster's fear and stubbornness kept him from listening, provoking Ultraman to use a little tough love on him. Finally, after Seibatsu grabbed onto the rocket, he was fired back to the monster graveyard, where he could spend the rest of his days in peace. Now this is a very unusual episode, even more unusual than the previous one, if I'm being honest, and I do want to talk about that, so let's get into the notes. Now right from the start, this episode seems, and again, this is similar to the previous one, to be a little out of the ordinary. The basis for the plot is laid out immediately, which in and of itself is not uncommon, but Ida and Arashi patrolling space for no particular reason suggests that Sasuke and Jisoji were less interested in the mechanics of the story, but more in their high concept of the monster graveyard. Now given how strong that concept is, I think that's understandable. The dour subject matter of all the monsters defeated by Ultraman living in a space-based afterlife is pretty heady stuff. Now, from a fan standpoint, it is nice to see some of the old monsters and aliens again, including Kemular, Antlar, and Naranga. The monster graveyard has become a recurring concept in the Ultra series, popping up in various forms over the years. Again, it's a powerful concept, and I have to say that I do like the idea of the monsters being able to find some peace in death, since most of them were unable to find any in life. I compare this similarly to the ending of the film Destroy All Monsters, which we covered back on episode 73, where the monsters are able to have their own space to exist so that they can coexist peacefully with humanity. Back on Earth is where this episode really takes off. Fuji's tearful reaction to the graveyard is very much fitting with her thoughtful and sensitive character. She also has a line which in the subtitles is translated as, quote, They looked different from us and have too much power, so they were banished to space. Now this immediately reminded me of the very similar classic quote from Eji Tsuburaya himself about monsters. Tsuburaya said that monsters are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. They do not attack people because they want to, but because of their size and strength, mankind has no other choice but to defend itself. After several such stories as this, people end up having a kind of affection for the monsters. They end up caring about them. Now, This quote seems to be the basis for the first half of this episode, as clearly the entire science patrol is feeling the same sentiment as Subaraya regarding the tragedy of Daikaiju. Hayata has the most extreme response, literally asking for forgiveness for killing the monsters in the name of protecting humanity. One of the facets of this series, which I think is overlooked sometimes, is that Ultraman is a merciful character. He's not there to hunt down monsters and kill them, and will look for non-lethal solutions if possible. This convention, still being used in the modern Ultra series, as Haruki has a similar crisis of conscience during Ultraman Z, when he cannot bring himself to hurt a Red King who is simply protecting its egg. This quality of mercy is one of my favorite elements of the Ultra Heroes, and all of that starts here in this episode. The memorial service is one of the most unique scenes, not only in this series, but in the entire Ultra series. It's quite lovely and respectful, with portraits of other monsters in place and the Science Patrol praying. It's a little disappointing that the service is interrupted, but such is the life of the Science Patrol. The monster Seibatsu looks like he should be fairly fierce with his bony skeleton armor, but from the time we first see him, it's clear he's not of the same temperament of the more aggressive monsters we've seen in this series. His cry sounds like a rusty gate, which is appropriate as it was created by rubbing pieces of metal together. 
He's an interesting-looking monster. You definitely feel a lot of sympathy for him during his first few scenes. Visually, Seibatsu reminds me of the Robot Master Skullman from Mega Man 4, if any of you have ever played that game. The scene with the Science Patrol attacking Seibatsu at dusk was very nicely executed. A well-assembled series of shots to showcase a novel setting as far as time of day with some really wonderful lighting. Makes everything look very dramatic. Now, the fact that we get two atypical episodes in a row, both of which involve the monster being removed from Earth, is a very bizarre coincidence to me. That said, even stranger is that we transition from the serious, almost somber first half of this episode to the ridiculousness of the second half. Honestly, I think this tonal shift is a disservice to the episode. We go from the fight with Ultraman and Seibatsu being clipped, literally stopping and showing it as still photos, demonstrating the senselessness of it all, to the hijinks with the rocket, and Ultraman literally slapping Seibatsu around to get him to behave and hold on to the rocket. That change did not do much for me. I would have preferred the resolution to be more serious, but for whatever reason, that was not the choice which was made. That said, the very end is nice, both with Seibatsu home where he belongs, and things seemingly back to normal for the Science Patrol as well, with the narrator talking about the boring lives of patrol. Professor Allen sent in some pre-feedback for this episode as well, and it goes like this. The monster graveyard really leaned into the strange experimental directing style we have seen a number of times this season. I'm going to break in right here. Yes, and I think almost all of the ones that fit that mold, Professor, were directed by Akio Jisoji. So I think it's, it's his style, but it's just so different from all the other directors that worked on the series. Uh, Professor continues, the concept is great. I love the notion of Hayata being guilt-racked about the monster deaths he has caused. Makes me wonder if Tom King watched this when he was a kid, given how he included the effects of trauma in all of his series. That's a really good point. I've not read enough Tom King to, to really make a comment, but yeah, you know, that, that is something he is known for. And I think, you know, I think that part of that is we're just more aware of it, right? It's, it's just the awareness factor. But this here we are back in 67 talking about it. I thought that the way the clips of past monsters were included was interesting. And this may have been the first time I really noticed the music as the scoring of the episode is quite unique. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Keep them stomping, Professor Allen. Yeah, good points. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it definitely, the, the music is really good. I, I do like the direction. And it does fit into that kind of unusual style that we've seen from Jisoji. I know you and I, when we covered My Home is Earth, we kind of, we covered a lot of the same grounds. That there is this unique look to the episodes that he, that he works on. And uh, I think this is a definitely a great example of that, for sure. Um, now, in closing... To me, the Monster Graveyard, it has the makings of an all-time classic. It's a wonderful high concept. It's very thoughtfully written and shot in the first half, but it can't keep up that momentum. The back half devolves into near slapstick. Still, I must say, it's worth watching for that first half, which is very memorable and will stick with you long after viewing. Now, if you would like to watch the Monster Graveyard, you have the same options as the previous episode. You can get that Mill Creek Blu-ray with the Movie Spree digital copies. You can stream for free with ads on Shout Factory TV, or you can try and find the Mill Creek DVDs on the secondary market. So I, again, throw it to you, the listener. What do you think? Do you like the concept of the Monster Graveyard? Do you like the the more serious portion of this episode, or do you like kind of the more uh, unusual second half? Uh, What do you think of the Monster Seibatsu? You know, what do you think about A Quality of Mercy? 
that we see from the Ultra Heroes. Are you a fan of that as well? And I would like to think that most Ultra fans are. I think that's a, a great aspect of Ultraman that, uh, you know, but that's just me. So please write in EarthDestructionDirective at Yahoo.com. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on this episode as well. All right, that's all I've got for these two episodes. I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to come right back with listener feedback here on Earth Destruction Directive. Can you hear me now, Jimmy? Excellente! I've been waiting a long time for this. What was that? (sighs) Yes, Jimmy, I'll mention you. As you always remind me, I'm contractually obligated to do so. We good? All righty then. Let's get this promo started. <clears throat> Hello, kaiju lovers. I'm Nathan Marchand, a professional writer and raging nerd. You might remember me from the Kaiju Vision Radio podcast. Well, during my sabbatical to the Monsterland Resort to catch some rays and drink a few blue Hawaiians, I was hired as the curator of the Monster Island Film Vault. So I figured... I might as well use the opportunity to make a podcast while I'm at it. I'll critically and academically analyze films from the kaiju and tokusatsu genres, in keeping with my philosophy of film appreciation, and have fun along the way. Each episode will feature members of my rotating roster of guest hosts, chosen from Monster Island's tourists, including John LeMay, Daniel DeManna, Ben Avery, and Nick Hayden. We'll walk through kaiju film history, starting with the granddaddy of all kaiju himself, King Kong! Yes, we'll be chronologically examining the eighth wonder of the world's filmography, culminating with his epic rematch against the King of the Monsters in 2020's Godzilla vs. Kong. Episodes will drop the second and fourth Wednesdays of every month. The first episode each month will be a full-length film discussion with the tourists, where I share these amazing films with both newcomers to the genre and veteran fans. The second will be a mini-sode on a variety of topics, starting with audio essays on classic Toho tokusatsu films. So join me and my intrepid producer, Jimmy from NASA, who miraculously survived the infamous war in space, as we embark on a new giant monster film journey starting September 2019. Check out our website, MonsterIslandFilmVault.com, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other fine podcatchers. The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. How was that, Jimmy? What do you mean, it stinks? All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive, and now it's time for a little bit of listener feedback. If you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also catch me on Facebook or Twitter. I guess we're supposed to call it X, but I still call it Twitter. Or you can find us on YouTube, uh, listen to the outro of the show, and we'll have all the information there. So let's get to our emails. Our first email comes from... Peter Zellner, and writes with the subject, Godzilla, or here, lizard, lizard, lizard. Peter writes, Godzilla is not a bad movie. He means Godzilla 98 in this context. Its biggest problem is the name Godzilla. Nothing in this movie says it is a Godzilla movie. Except, of course, the old man saying, Gojira. But that could be easily cut. If it was named something different, like Gigantosaurus, it might have been better received. But without the name, the movie has nothing. Keep them stomping, Peter. You know, that's, um, Peter, first off, thank you very much for writing in. And, um, you know, it's a, uh, I've, I've heard that a lot of times that, you know, if this, if they called this a remake of Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, people would have liked it better. And I, that, that may be true. It may have not had the bias going in 
putting the name Godzilla on it, but I think you're also right. If you don't call it Godzilla, the film doesn't get made, right? Um, the, it, it, it's the value in the name Godzilla that's the, the collateral that helps this film get made in the first place. So I, I get what you're saying. You know, for a long time, I kind of, uh, I, I thought that as well. And I do still think that to a degree. I, uh, unfortunately, this rewatch, I was really wanting to be able to reevaluate the film. And so, you know, that's not as bad as I remember it being. But for whatever reason, for me now, I only see the flaws. And the, there's even, like we talked about in the episode, there's new flaws I see that I didn't see the last time around the uh, the, the direction and the writing and the, the, the production design even with like the sets. So, hey, I get it, you know? I mean, absolutely, the, the film does... The name Godzilla holds a lot of value, and that was a check. I say it sometimes. That 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 calling this movie Godzilla was writing checks. This movie could not cash. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. Thank you very much for writing in, Peter. I uh, hope to hear from you again uh, real soon. Uh, our second email comes from Billy D, him of uh, the magazines and monsters. And Billy D writes in simply episode 118. Hey Luke. Just chiming in on your latest episode, Godzilla 98 was a turnoff for me from day one. I never cared for the visual or Broderick as, quote, the guy in the movie. I'm a Showa-era guy, so the rubber suit Godzilla is my thing. For anyone that likes it, good on them, or if anyone hasn't seen it, you should definitely give it a watch. Keep it the fun episodes. I'll always be here to listen in. Thank you very much, Billy. Appreciate that email. And yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's not just Showa. I mean, it's Tokusatsu in general, right? I mean, uh, it not until very, very recently have we started getting CG Godzilla on the regular. So I do have to give them credit for ambition, if nothing else. But even as much money as they had, I still think it was a matter of time. I think the studio locked themselves into that Memorial Day uh, release date. And they were not ready for prime time. And the, the technology in 1998 was not ready for prime time. And I really think that uh, not not for not for the timetable they were looking to do. For Jurassic Park, when you had ILM and they had all, much time as they did, I think you could do it. But you know what? I get where you're coming from. And to me, Tokusatsu Godzilla, that that's my Godzilla, right? So that's the one I'm, I'm right there in agreement with you. And that's what I... I'd, I love that too. It's my first love of giant monsters was Godzilla King of the Monsters. You know, that was the first one I saw. That's, that's still it. So uh, I appreciate your feedback. Hope to hear from you again soon. I think I have another one from you in the email sack. I think. I'm not 100% sure on that. Still do have some emails in the sack, but I would love to hear from everybody and appreciate the feedback from everyone. So our previous episode got social media likes. Uh, retweets, shares, thumbs ups, all that good stuff, which uh, helps any podcast, uh, you know, engage and spread the word and is really appreciated. Uh, we got all that engagement from uh, the aforementioned Billy D, aka Doc Strange from Magazines and Monsters, my brother Jason Giaconetti, Derek, Derek WC, that fan hole, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, Hendrix, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Brian Severe, Adam Tebow. Two True Freaks, James Santana, the Mabusa cast, Jimmy from NASA, and Nathan Marchon. Together they are the Monster Island Film Vault, the Henshin Men podcast, the Two-Man Power Trip podcast. I'm not going to do the whole thing. You know it's actually just a Power Trip podcast. Crystal Lady Jessica, the aforementioned Professor Allen, and the Weird Warriors podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, for all the great feedback and social media engagement. It really helps to show out. And uh, I am 
very, very pleased and glad that everybody enjoys the show enough that they're willing to just take the time to put something out there on social media. That absolutely means everything to me. So thank you very much. Now, we come to the portion of the show where we must always say, what is coming next? What is coming forward? We must, as I say, always be looking forward, not backward, and always looking upward, not forward. So for our next episode, we are going to be covering the final Gamera film that we have gotten to this date. We are going to be covering Gamera the Brave, finishing up all of our coverage of the Gamera films. So, of course, uh, you know, we um, previously covered all the Showa films. We covered the Heisei uh, trilogy. And, of course, we got more Gamera coming because, as I said, we're doing Gamera Rebirth. But we're going to be talking about uh, Gamera the Brave. Very much looking forward to talking about this one. Obviously, a very big change of pace from the the, uh, the 90s trilogy, the very beloved, rightfully beloved uh, 90s trilogy. A bit more of a mixed opinion on Gamera the Brave. So it should be interesting to revisit it. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. Uh, at this point, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the episode. And, of course, take a moment and say, hey... Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you want to be part of this show, you are free to interact with this show in any way that you want to. You know, as I say, you know, you want to leave a comment, you want to write an email, you want to just listen and lurk, all that's fine. You know, don't don't think that because you're new to the pod or you're new to the genre that you're not allowed to be part of it. We're not a gatekeeping show. We're a show for the people. So all are welcome. Now, if you uh, would like to check us out, of course, as I said, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can find me on YouTube, just search for Earth Destruction Directive and you'll find all of the uh, content we've got up there. I've been a little lax on getting new content, that's not just the episodes up, but I'm going to really, uh, you know, again, you know a podcaster's lying because their lips are moving, but I am going to try and get more stuff on there uh, coming up in the next couple of months, so please uh, look forward to that. Um, again, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode, taking a look at the uh, two more episodes of Ultraman, the original Ultraman featuring Skydon and Seibatsu, and hope everybody comes back next time when we talk about Gamera the Brave. So, until that time, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network available at two truefreaks.com this is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of japanese giant monsters all movies tv shows comic books characters and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied if you would like to send an email to the show you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name E-D-D. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun 
here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one.